Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope that they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 21 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. Let's take a moment and just look at those numbers in relationship, three and 21, and thinking about that factor of seven relationship between them. I was sharing with a friend today that on my swimming challenge, and last year, I made it from solstice to equinox, swimming each day. And this year, my swimming began on the 1st of June, and I'm hoping, planning, anticipating continuing until the 1st of October, and I made my minimum stroke count during this time 105 strokes, which is 21 five times, and I breathe every third stroke, so alternating sides to keep kind of an even rhythm and balance for sighting, having raced in open water for many years, and those are powerful numerical relationships. What I love about counting on the three is there's a shift in the pattern. So I know that I haven't lost count because I expect to get to 33. But when I'm in the 50s, it's 51. And that comes back around again in the 80s to 81. And so it helps keep me on track in that space. Because if you ever have been counting whilst swimming, it's easy to lose track and to forget which of the tens you are on and where you are in that sequence. And so finding the power of those relationships and how they bring forward certain patterns can be quite helpful and functional. I also think about that power of seven and that relationship of seven in the arc of development. So having been in the Waldorf system with our children for many years when we were living in Oregon, we talked about those arcs of development moving from zero to seven and then from seven toward 14 and 14 toward 21 And thinking about what happens at those points of transition, what's happening physiologically and psychologically and emotionally for the child, and then looking at experientially what's happening, particularly in the school environment. And the one that really sticks out to me is that shift at the point of 14, because for many locations around the world, that is a time we move out of either elementary school in the case where we have had K through eight all combined or from middle school toward high school. And there's a sense of moving into early adulthood, taking on this more independent role and thinking about all the social dynamics that happen in that space when we leave that land, particularly for my children who have been in schools that have gone K through eight, where it has been very small class sizes and very intimate relationships with the teachers and the faculty and across grade levels, and then coming into this quite large environment. And for me, it was a smaller microcosmic shift. I went to school in a Catholic school system, so it was smaller class sizes and more familiarity. There certainly was movement from that base school, again, in the K through eight model into the high school setting. And there was an addition of students from the various public schools 
many of whom would become my nearest and dearest friends from that experience. In any case, I'm currently in the process in the role of a support figure as my oldest son moves into the high school setting. And he is making that leap from that smaller space, having come also from school transition multiple times, but most particularly in this past year, and moving into a quite large Class A, Division One, however you might want to classify it, high school here in Northwest Michigan. And we've had all kinds of different thoughts about that, mostly from our own lens of personal experience and what it would be like to be in such a large space. And also remembering he is who he is and he can find his way in this space and we will certainly tune in and offer support and listen in for how that's going, but recognizing that he has the opportunity to make his way in this experience. And a gift that's happened in this time is that he had a theater experience over the past month. And that was with students ranging from seventh grade to recently graduating high school, many of whom will be going to the high school where he will also attend. And they spent all day, five days a week for a whole month together, writing this play and preparing the music and learning the roles. And they created these new connections and bonds and came into this space where it can be quite awkward if we're being honest about it, right? Physically and emotionally, socially, all those pieces coming out of one school and into another and making new connections and being able to do so in this safe space, creative space, encouraging space with peers who share common interests was really such a gift. And the added bonus of this gift was that there were performances. And so while the experience of the month was private, right, they would go each day and it was like a school day, they'd get dropped off and picked up and we would hear about it, but we weren't experiencing it directly, but they were performances of this show. And Ugly, a new pop musical was its grand premiere, right? First ever time being performed because it was written in the course of this month. And so we were able to see the dress rehearsal Friday and then two performances, one Saturday, one Sunday. And if you, like me, are a patron of the theater and enjoy attending plays and musicals and really performance arts of any kind, you know how much has been missing this past year, this past 18 months, and how deeply the arts are needed for connection, for reminders of our humanity and for the opportunity to see and to feel. And I've shared with you in the past that feelings aren't really my baseline space. I often operate out of hyper-rationality, and I'm seeing that there's space for all, all ways of being in the world. And I recognize that it has been a lifelong exposure to the arts, personally, directly as a musician. So I've played in the pit of many musicals, but really in the audience of theater as well, since I was quite young, I had the good fortune, and I really do believe I saw it at the time, because many things we see in retrospect, but I saw the gloriousness of spending my summers in the dark, in the back of the theater, watching rehearsal after rehearsal of various plays with my oldest brother, and just seeing the power of the collective, of the ensemble, of the leads, of song, of the spoken word, of brilliant timing, of the power of lighting, of scripting and casting brilliance, all of that, right? I had that as part of my growing up tapestry, right? It was just the way in which I was raised. 
And there happened to be a reprise of one of the plays that I'd spent all day, every day of my summers, right? not participating in directly, but in seeing and witnessing and memorizing all of those lyrics and songs as a child in the audience. That play was part of this summer series. And it brought back so many fantastic memories. And then also seeing relayed in this play with the young people so many of the sentiments we have, especially in that time of our lives, of not being quite sure of who we are and how we are and where we belong and trusting that it's not having to fit into the environment, right? having to adapt and contort, but it's coming through ourselves and being fully ourselves and bringing that out into the world and perhaps shifting the environment in which we are so that it is a good match. Right? And it doesn't have to mean anything is wrong with one particular environment. It certainly doesn't have to mean there's anything wrong with our way of being. It means there are cohesive and synergistic spaces where who we are matches with others in the space around us. And it's totally fair to investigate and see where it is that you belong, right? belong, not fit in, belong. And just thinking about that and what a gift it was for him to have that experience in this time and really what a gift it was as parents for him to have had that experience to see that he is gaining insight into that of explore and let you and who you are fully come forward and trust, right? There will be a space where it clicks and you're with your people and you're welcomed just as you are and you're encouraged to try new things. And today... My children are with my husband at my mom's house and they are painting bees on the wall. And so as you hear in each episode, my last name is Beaky and my dad's business card was a bumblebee and a key, like an old school skeleton key. And we've often had bold paintings in the backyard, interestingly. The first mural that was present was a Peanuts mural inspired by You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown and Snoopy, those plays that I was witness to over and over and over again in my younger elementary years and that were reprised this past weekend. And then we had a shift to having a hive mural representing the home where my mother has lived since 1964 and the bees leaving that hive going out into the world. And the bees represented each of us, each of my siblings and myself. And my brother put on there elements that represented who we are, what we were doing. And mine is a Dr. B with running shoes on. And that's pretty fair, all things considered, over the past 40 years. And just recently, we began adding the grandchildren, the grand bees, to the picture. And it was interesting to me to wait and see what my children decided to illustrate as representative of them and who and how they are in this moment, right? in this space of be thyself and belonging. And I really didn't intend for those to have the be components, but sometimes you just can't help how things turn out. And I received a photo from my husband of them earlier today in their nearly complete modes. And my oldest son, who is now entering high school, it was really interesting, and I'll be curious to see what the final edit is. But he has his B, and it's playing the cello. He's holding an oar. And in the time that the photo was sent, there were sketched in 
soccer cleats or football boots for those who are watching Ted Lasso more and more, and the outline of a soccer ball. And that's not yet painted in. And that may be the staging, but it's also an interesting moment as he has played soccer since he was itty-bitty. I was his coach right in those U6 years, the Green Gators. Shout out to any of my Green Gators who might be listening. Some of my favorite memories. And has played soccer year-round since then. Has really identified with soccer, loves soccer. And if you've been with me over the past year, he fractured his leg in the winter and currently has the plate and screws. He's fully functional and fully cleared, but has some trepidation because it was advised to him that should he get hit in a certain way, there could be risk of fracture above and below the plate. And certainly he gets tossed around and he's quite physical. He himself is tall and strong and he's always in the mix. You know, he's not hesitant to go for the ball. And so we've had this pause in soccer, understandably so. And I don't know if there will be an unpause and a return. And it's totally possible. We do live in this world where it's choose your sport early and specialize. I still try to stay away from that, even for myself, having run eight seasons in high school. Right, That turned me off of running temporarily, I will say. But just remembering to try lots of different things and to know, too, that there is the possibility of return. And certainly, from a recruitment standpoint, it may be more likely, more palatable that he would be seen playing soccer more consistently and at the same time staying active and in enjoyment. And should he choose once the plate is out and he feels more secure with his leg to return, I fully believe that's possible. That said, as I mentioned, he's also holding an oar. And I will fully admit, right, I've had visions of the rowing and of cello from my own experience. Right? You want to share that which you have loved with your children but have worked really hard to practice restraint in that regard and not put forward my ideas, needs, expectations on him, but to open up all different possibilities. And he did a rowing camp this past summer for one week, and he had done so previously when we were in Southern Oregon as well and really enjoyed it. And quite honestly, he is built like a rower. He's quite tall. He has good form. He has experience with it. And so the possibilities there might be quite significant, or he may not like it once he is in the racing season. That remains to be seen. But he painted it on the wall and has made the statement, so I'm rowing in high school, and committing to that sense of belonging and space and identity. And so we'll see what emerges in there. And the cello is on there. I would say one nice thing is the cello could look very much like a guitar, and he's playing both of those. And that moment where the soccer ball was there, but not fully painted in, it's just an interesting representation and possibility that we will see. We will see if it comes back in full Technicolor or if it remains as a place that he began sports and loves and plays for fun and perhaps not as intensely. And so we shall see. And his brother painted on the wall a bee wearing a full hockey mask and holding a hockey stick and a fishing pole and soccer cleats and a soccer ball were represented in that picture as well. And he has demonstrated a true love and aptitude for fishing. It's become a bit of a running joke almost that he could cast anytime, anywhere and come up with a fish. We were out on the big lake. He didn't have the right lures. And he took one more chance, threw the cast in, and came out with this huge fish. 
And multiple times on outings, he'll be the only one that comes back in with the fish. And I love that experience, seeing how he pulls forward common threads in our family. I remember in my summers at Uncle Joe's cabin, pulling out bluegills and trying not to spike your hand and throwing them back into the lake. And just seeing that come through as an option for him. And hockey, thinking about what that represents. So this past winter, we began with ice skating. They put in a pond at the school because that was a relatively COVID-friendly activity. There's also a lake behind the school that freezes. And we began, and it was like Bambi on ice. Everyone was quite unsteady on their feet. My middle son most particularly, but he was resilient, right? We can look at that word from previous. He got right back up. Didn't matter how many times he fell, how cold, how wet, how bruised he was. He just got up and kept going. And I think back to my own childhood where we grew up, we had the largest outdoor skating rink. I'm going to say in the world. We can Google it at that time, but Hoyt Park in Saginaw, Michigan. And so I was able to skate. I was not a proficient skater, but I could stay up and even go backward a teeny bit. But it was a key part of our childhood. And so just seeing this year how he went from very much unstable on the ice to quite proficient, right? Able to skate and skate fast and stop and turn. And it was part of the PE experience and part of watching Mighty Ducks, the original and the new reprise on uh, Disney Plus come through. And just seeing that perseverance and going from embracing something that there was no immediate and natural aptitude. And I say that with no degradation, but with so much awe and admiration that he was willing to just keep at it because it interested him, because he had friends who were playing and he was enjoying being with them in that space. And it wasn't a fitting in piece, right? And it wasn't him not being himself. It was him seeing that possibility, even in those moments lying on the ice, even in the moments, right, when your knees are cold and soaked, right? It was trusting that it would come, that with time and with continuing to put in the effort, it would appear. And to me, that's so much more powerful than just being able to put on skates and say, oh, I get this and skate around. No problem with that either. But there's power in that tenaciousness that comes. And I was sharing this story with a friend today that my first cross-country meet, I couldn't finish. And I had been a sprinter the last time I really used speed and power in running in middle school in track. And that's why I identified. But I was cut from the basketball team and I would say lost or won, either depending on how you want to look at it, a bet with my brother that if I didn't make the basketball team, I would at least try cross country for one year. And so I did, and I wanted to be on a sports team in high school, but I had never run really more than just the sprinting. In the first event, I couldn't finish the three-mile race. I had all these side stitches, and I say couldn't, right? I could have walked across, but it was so painful, and I hadn't had my physical yet, so I wasn't allowed to cross the line. The rule was you could be out on the course but, you know, 400 meters from the end, you had to step off because they couldn't have you cross the line for MHSAA rules. And I was so grateful that I didn't have the physical so I could use that as a reason. Oh, I didn't cross the line because of that physical, not because I could barely breathe and I hadn't had side stitches like this before in my life. And so I made a commitment to myself to not be, right, unable to finish while running, feeling comfortable. I shouldn't say feeling comfortable because when you're racing, you don't necessarily feel comfortable, right, but not for the lack of conditioning side stitch issues. In any case, I committed to myself to be the person who was able to cross that line and cross it confidently 
and in ever improving times. And I was able to, even the next race, right, because there was time between and just that commitment each day with the team, I was able to finish and move up and rank on the team. And then the summer between freshman year and sophomore year of high school, I ran every day, right, and a little bit longer each time, thanks to Steve Miller Band in a Walkman. And I might have shared this recently, but my middle son, my perseverant middle son, has since begun listening to a Walkman, and I brought that tape to him, right? It's the signature tape, and literally cassette tape, of my running experience and the representation of that act of perseverance, of not necessarily being able to just jump in and do it right away, but trusting, right, that it was there and that with some nurturing in time, it would come through. And I say that, and I remember as well, the lead runner in our area in high school ran all the time and she was crazy fast, legitimately so fast. And so many of us would always say, man, she's just running all the time. But if you want to be faster at running, generally you need to rest and perhaps condition and cross train as well, but it takes more running, right? So your body gets used to ever increasing speeds. And I look back now and I think, oh, right. So that commitment is the thing that always brings it forward. And so seeing that hockey stick in that B representation is so powerful and that he does have those soccer cleats on and the soccer ball present in the picture and is currently continuing to play soccer and we'll see how that goes. I hope it will continue to be a conscious choice out of desire and enjoyment and not out of being in the current of having had played soccer. And so you just keep playing soccer and just choosing each and every season that this is the thing I want to be doing. And my daughter's B is quite smiley. It's a side profile B and she's painting. And she also has on soccer cleats and a soccer ball. And the interesting piece here for me is that with her, she was relatively hesitant. So if I think about all three of them, I coached all three of them in soccer early on in those first two years or so of playing. That's where I find my contribution highest in the soccer space. And then I remove myself and they move on with a more experienced coach in this sport and strategy directly. And of the three, and interestingly, she was the most exposed to soccer because when she was a baby, right, I was coaching her middle brother. And then as she continued to get older, both boys were always playing. And so we were on the sidelines of many, many soccer games. And she was relatively hesitant early on. She was there and she would participate, but she wasn't one to go for the ball. She was happy for her teammates to take the ball and score. But this year, this year on her team, it all changed. And she has been so engaged and scored three goals in all but one game this season and was right in there in the mix, not hesitant to go for the ball and really has begun to say that she loves soccer and wants to play more soccer. And again, we will see what comes along long-term, but reminding ourselves not to underestimate what someone's slower start might be or to see how we can sometimes categorize, right? Oh, these are the soccer players, right? And this one's going to choose something different and leaving it open for each to find their way. And then with the painting, right? So she has the painting and the paintbrush and in the picture of her bee and seeing where that artistic expression might come through. And so as I look upon those bees and the sense of self and the moving through the arcs, and we are at the end of two arcs in our household. We have a seven-year-old and a 14-year-old. And then we are between those two. So we're kind of at the peak of that middle arc with an 11-year-old 
in this space and just remembering that, remembering all that energy that's shifting and then seeing that for the parents. So we are not only parenting these arcs, but we are in our own transitions and just seeing how life offers that to us and that it can come at different paces. I was relaying the interesting experience this past week of listening to The Beginner's Mind on the recommendation of a friend, which is by Yo-Yo Ma. And it's an audiobook with music, of course, all interwoven throughout. And when the Bach cello suites came on, they were really fast. And I thought, wow, how far removed am I from this that I really don't remember them this way? Or was I playing them really slowly? You know, maybe I just obviously am not up to Yo-Yo Ma standards by any way, shape, or form. But right, some of these standard pieces, there is a baseline way in which we play them. Certainly we put our own nuance and interpretation And then it dawned on me (laughs) that I listen to things at a faster than 1.0 rates, usually at 1.5, 1.6. I thought, oh, that's why (laughs) that it sounds different. And then I thought, what an interesting experience to have heard it fast and then to be able to slow it back down and even to go slower, right? So when you listen to the podcast, maybe I talk at a baseline 1.5 and you slow it down. That's totally available to you. And thinking about that in life, as I think about these arcs, because certainly I can look at these 7, 11, and 14-year-olds and see how fast we've gotten here. And I was pulling up some memories of a few years ago and seeing how that 7-year-old was a 1-year-old, and it doesn't seem that long ago that that was the case. And then seeing, too, how certain times can feel like they take forever. As I share with you through that injury time, right, it can seem like this unfolding and this stretching and an unraveling of sorts, where is it going to come back together? So when I began this episode, and I've shared with you in the past, I begin them internally. I begin to put different ideas and thoughts together, but they don't come together. I don't push record until there's been this sense of what message is meant to come through. And even as I'm recording them, it shifts. So when I began today, my intention was to talk about instinct and intuition. And then here this whole story emerged around the factor seven and the arcs of development and identification of self and practice of belonging. And I think all of that is, of course, absolutely what was meant to come through. And I did want to share with you A few quotes, actually, that came up when I was investigating instinct and intuition. And we could certainly have a whole episode about intuition, and perhaps we will. But we'll segue into it with some of these points for pondering. And I think it also ties in quite well with what we were discussing today. And that bringing through of self and trusting that self to be here, that's intuition for who and how we know ourselves to be. And so some quotes that came up, and I'm just going to go through them, share a little bit of my own reflection. I'd love to hear yours on what comes through when you hear these famous people sharing their insights on intuition. So Dean Kuntz, famous author, shares that intuition is seeing with the soul. And in the context of today's discussion, seeing yourself with your soul and looking beyond what those external appearances might hold. 
and what some of those classifications might be. And I'm looking here at my opening intro with the podcast. And at present, I still resonate with all of these, but if they began to shift, perhaps I would paint them into the background, right? And put the bold colors in other spaces of my life. And one, the opening one, right? Because I'm talking to you as Dr. Amelia Beakey, as a physician, but not as your physician in this podcast. But that one has actually been called into, not question, but further discernment, let's say, in this time relative to direct active clinical practice and the opportunity to make some decisions around that and decide what physician means, right? And what means to me and what it means to the state and professional organizations and licensure and certification, all of those pieces, but recognizing that we get to decide how we see ourselves and what does take the highlight. In this episode, that second P in the intro parent came to the forefront in relating that athlete came through because we saw sports as those key features for my children. Writer, and that one is still there. Sometimes it does feel like it fades a bit, although I see where content comes through many different ways and working toward the book that will be coming out in the next few months is part of this process. Musician. And it was interesting to see, I thought my bee had a cello also when I thought about it from the past, but it didn't, right? And there was that shift when I moved toward doctor, musician did take more of a back seat and it's beginning to come forward now. So it's still in the list, but which one takes the brightest color in that time might shift. Coach, absolutely, in all kinds of different ways. And entrepreneur, yes, right? So still resonance with all of those. So what do you see? How are you seeing yourself? The Albert Einstein intuition quote is, I believe in intuitions and inspirations. I sometimes feel that I am right. I do not know that I am. And this one is so interesting in the context of the current state of affairs in the world. And absolutely, getting facts and data and interpreting it appropriately and checking your sources, all of that has absolute merit and there are times right, when we do have this resonance internally that calls us to follow it. And we think about that in the medical world, right? that gestalt, that sense of, ooh, I need to investigate this more. What is this telling me in that space? And seeing how we can partner that, not leaving out one for the other. right? And what I love in here too is that it's, I feel I'm right. right? It's this internal knowing versus I know that I am, which is the headspace knowing. right? So thoughts and feelings and seeing how they interact. And then this last one that I will offer up is from Madeline Lingle. And A Wrinkle in Time, I would put on there as one of my all-time favorite books. And it would bring in the whole series, but that would be the representative favorite book. Don't try to comprehend with your mind. Your minds are very limited. Use your intuition. And thinking about that again as an invitation to trust ourselves and to listen in and to when we don't feel confident in that inner knowing to see why, what has thrown us off course, what other voices are we heeding. And again, not to discount meaningful information or collaboration or synergy and also to just honor who and how we are and to listen in to what the inner voice might be saying. 
So that is what we have for today. We've explored a lot. I'd love to hear from you the factor of seven in the arcs of development and the sense of self and the way we are practicing belonging and what is being painted in full color for you right now. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.